I didn't expect them to be, oh, yay, you know, your child's trans, let's have a party. I wasn't expecting that. But what I did expect was to figure it out together. This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Welcome to the Pantsuit Politics Summer Series. Every year, we use the month of July to take a break from our regularly scheduled programming to do a little something different. We take a deep dive in a way we can't do while we're chasing the headlines of the day. In previous years, this has been a pretty intellectual exercise. We covered the Federalist Papers, the Constitution. Last year, we talked about infrastructure. But this year, we're following the lead of our new book, Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything, and look at our relationships and connections to one another with more depth. Now What? The book has two parts. In this series, we're going to focus on part one, those closest to us. Part two of the book covers our relationships as people who share states and nations and the internet and a planet. But in this series, we want to talk about the relationships in which we are physically present in our day-to-day lives. You don't need to have read the book to follow this series, but we hope that you have read it or that you will soon. And in the spirit of summer, we're going to dive right into the deep end with our closest family relationships and what political disagreement is doing to them. Now, we've talked about this in our own lives. I have shared on our show and in the book about my political conflict with my father, who's on the opposite end of the political spectrum as me, but we wanted to invite others into the conversation. So what we did is we reached out to our community and we said, who is struggling with these issues and would you want to come and talk about it? These groups represent active, engaged listeners of our podcast. There are many experiences represented in our audience that are not represented in these calls. A glaring one is that you're only going to hear from women, and we have many beloved men and non-binary people in our community. We just didn't approach this as a journalistic exercise. We weren't trying to make sure that every demographic was covered because it is a brave and vulnerable thing to have your voice recorded talking about these intimate relationships in your life. So we went with the people who volunteered, and we really tried to explore what they're experiencing. Everyone you'll hear from in today's episode is experiencing some level of disconnect from their immediate or extended family members. You won't hear the details of all their stories, but they include a person whose siblings have cut her off since her child came out as trans, a person whose family won't mask or take a home test, even if that's the boundary drawn to meet a new grandchild, and a person whose siblings were at the January 6th insurrection. So for some of you, these stories are going to connect in a way that hits pretty hard. And if you are experiencing something similar, we hope it's helpful to you to hear from others and know that you're not alone. We also hope that you'll listen in a gentle way as you go through this. We want to say, too, that there are lots of ways to be in a family. These conversations are not meant to be prescriptive. We are not really even focusing on action items. In the book, we offer a lot of questions and language that we hope is helpful, but there's not a right answer. Our families aren't math problems. So we're just trying to shine a little light on what people are going through right now. And we're going to start with a segment of our conversation about family conflicts right after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Can I read your comment? Me? Yes. So that everybody can gasp and cover their mouths like I did. My brother and sister-in-law who attended the January 6th insurrection with a church group declined to attend my other brother's October 2021 wedding because they were asked to wear a mask or be vaccinated. You checked every box. Your bingo card is full. Their two sons, one of whom is my godson. I have made a point to call at least once a month and just talk with them. My nephew... And the younger one asked me, Aunt Beth, could David and I come visit you sometime? And we were like, yes, of course. Yes, that'd be great. Come fly out here. They're, they're both early 20s, you know. And, and he said, okay, because I, I know that Uncle I, we can't. And I was like, why not? So Uncle is the one who got married. got married. Right. So they are still of the opinion that because that happened then, that we don't want anything to do with them because they aren't vaccinated and won't wear a mask. I said, well, that was, that was then. And it was New York and it was, they had just had a big, you know, flare up of COVID and, and they had gone back to mask mandates indoors. And the, 
It wasn't an unreasonable ask. But yet they said we were uninvited because of our beliefs. So who has experience with that, with like the the narrative coming from the other family member is you are disconnecting from me. Does anybody else have that? We've had that experience. I had an eight month old when COVID started. And now I have another baby that's now eight months now into the pandemic. Bless and so you. they're under five and can't be vaccinated. Thank you. <laughs> but we've had family members that feel really hurt and offended that we like, and, and we feel like the asks have gotten smaller as we've gotten more tools. Like initially it was like, could you please quarantine? Now it's, can you please take a home test? And the answer is still no, but the perception is still that we're the ones that are unreasonable. (laughs) And that's really hard. Yeah, that gets to the expectation game, I think, that we talk a lot about in the book. Like we talk about it through generational eyes, but I think it's there through lots of different levels. It's weird. It's like both people have this expectation and this perception that they're like, the, the guest in this scenario. You know what I mean? Like nobody yeah. wants to take responsibility as the host. Everybody's the wronged guest, which is kind of weird, but it makes sort of sense yeah. in family, I guess. And I think it's hard when you feel like the, for us, it feels more personal because the stakes feel so disproportionate. Like mm. the stakes, I don't know if you feel this way, Beth, like the stakes, if, you know, they wear a mask to your brother's wedding and they don't want to, that feels like a very low stakes. Yes. The stakes, if they don't wear a mask and you want them to, and they infect someone with COVID and that person gets seriously ill, feel very high. And that's the same way we feel. It's like the stakes for you to take a home test or to wear a mask feel very low. Like the, the downside is that you do something you didn't want to do. And, you know, you have to give up your anti-COVID identity for 15 minutes or whatever it is. But if it, that feels so high to them, yes. <laughs> I guess that it, but the stakes feel so high, much higher to us. Like, but the the risk if we're wrong, if we're right and you're wrong, is that you infect our newborn with COVID. Right. right. So, my situation is complicated in many different ways, and when it comes to stakes, um, there was a very difference in political thought processes and beliefs and feelings when it came to the results of the election and and Trump and the like. Um, My family has become very evangelical. And when, and the church that, and I was attending with them, but that church supported Trump openly, hosted an event for him. And I was, I was kind of, I was appalled by it, quite frankly. That began a dis, um, a very large divide where it appeared to be an me versus them. Um, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that I would educate myself on things. I would research, I would look up stuff. I'd want to have those conversations where they chose not to, they just kind of took the information from, you know, their, their certain resources and they saw that as me being intimidating to them because I would counter with something that they would say. I provide that background because when, when COVID happened, my husband um, has had asthma since a child, he was a child. And so there was no question about the fact that when a vaccine came out, he was going to, I mean, he was willing to be in the trials. And um, so we all knew that we were going to be vaccinated. We talked to our children about it who were teenagers at the time and left it up to them, but presented them with a fax. My entire 
extended family that lives here in town with us, nobody is vaccinated. They have never vaccinated. My mom is 76 years old. She refuses to vaccinate. So you're still talking to your mom. I'm still talking to my mom. I'm not speaking with my brother and sister, but that has less to do with COVID and more to do with my trans child coming out a year ago at 17. Is that a religious choice on their part? Yes. We were told, um, we were told that they didn't know how to, that they wanted to keep their children innocent that they didn't know how to explain this to their children, that they didn't think it was real. Through several months, conversations with my child, what they basically did was say that they needed to separate themselves from us. And that also resulted in um, me going to my nephew's ball game. Um, I didn't go talk to my nephews. I was on the opposite side. I just wanted them to see me there and for me to see them for a few minutes. Um, I didn't speak to anybody. I didn't go up and say anything. I just stood there at the game for like, I didn't stay the whole time. And I received text messages from both my brother and sister saying that they no longer, they did not want me to show up at my nephew's games, that it was disrespectful. I haven't seen my nephews in over a year. My sister lives a mile away. My brother lives three miles away. And um, we are completely and totally estranged. I'm so sorry. I know. That is so painful. And to have a trans child in Texas too. You're on, you're going through it. Yes. And, and that was part of it. You know, we were not except, you know, we understood that there was hesitancy. Um, This has been a journey for us. What we really were looking for was just, Hey, we're family. We're going to be here for you. Let's figure out how we can deal with this. And the response that we got was, this is not of God. Um, This is, we can't be around this. And so look, you know, it's been over a year now. There's been a lot that's happened since then. Um, But that estrangement, there's no communication at all between me and my siblings. I did send my sister a happy birthday text. I I send a card with a gift to my nephews for their birthdays and for Christmas. They don't acknowledge my trans child. They acknowledge my oldest one and my younger one, but not the trans child. Oh my gosh. Well, and I think that's it. Like what you just said, though, that's everybody's expectation because that's what we're told. Blood is thicker than water. And And no matter what. The family is there for each other. That's our original group. That's our original tribe. And I think that's what makes this fracturing. So it's like not only the expectations within the relationship, it's the expectations we have of the relationship. And I think that that's it too. And what spoke to me particularly, you know, I, I read the first chapter again. And, you know, if you had said to me 10 years ago that this is where I would be right now, I would have told you you were a liar and you had no idea what you were talking about. I mean, I, we've been through my father dying of cancer, my sister's young husband dying of glioblastoma. She moved down here with her young son. I mean, we have done life together. And that's, to me, that's, this was just another aspect of life. But what I have seen happen, particularly since the radicalness of people's belief systems what that's done is created this divide of 
black and white, right or wrong, yes or no. And there's no, no discussion anymore. It's either you either agree with me or you're absolutely wrong. And I can't be around that. And that's what I don't understand. I, I didn't expect them to be, oh, yay, you know, your child's trans, let's have a party. I wasn't expecting that. But what I did expect was to figure it out together, like we'd mm-hmm. done throughout all of life. And more and more what I see with them, but what I guess I'm also seeing in public is that there is no finding that middle, finding that common ground, building from the common ground does not seem to be um, what is preached in some of the churches or what is supported by certain groups of people in society. It's enemy versus, you know, friend um, or yeah, friend or foe. Exactly. Jill, is that the journey that you've seen? You described your parents as starting as like Trump as the lesser of the evils and then getting in pretty deep. Do you think it is this kind of radicalization that we were just talking about or that that camp of like you're with us or against us and so there there isn't much more to talk about um yeah I I have not felt I'm not estranged from anyone in my family um so I haven't felt like some of the black and white like relationship non-starters or enders that some people are describing I live in Orange County I was raised here so I'm in California but I've pretty conservative though it's turning more blue but still pretty conservative area so I was raised evangelical um and very politically conservative and I would say like the last 10 years or so my husband and I have moved further left Beth your like journey I really have resonated with it's part of what drew me to fancy politics um but yeah and it's so I would say 2016 my parents Uh, I mean, they've always voted Republican. 2016, they both voted Trump. And I remember them not being thrilled he was the nominee, but oh, they hated Hillary Clinton. And so that was just what they did. And I have been shocked as the years have gone on to watch them just go down this rabbit hole of like, as the years have gone on, and I have been more horrified by Trump. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like direct, direct correlation. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, my dad got the MAGA hat and he has Trump glasses in the house and um, it's just, and then COVID hits and um, my husband and I, my husband's a, an elementary school teacher. We have two kids in elementary school. So we still saw my parents here and there later into 2020, um, but they were very, they're not test. They're not going to isolate. They're not going to do anything that would make us feel more comfortable. So we just had to kind of acquiesce to what the way they were living so I did notice Rachel you were nodding passionately it was the progression for me (laughs) (laughs) Um, my parents were also not thrilled in 2016 when he was the nominee and the progression of like my mom would never let us talk about politics in the house like she wasn't into it she would leave the room if the news was on and like politics was the topic and to go from that to like even her commenting on like news um, in air quotes because it's not news um, <laughs> has just been a I've been like a weird like sci-fi moment in my mind of like how did we get here? <laughs> yeah, and I think I don't know how old you are, Rachel. I'm in my 
mid thirties. And I think it's also a season of like, you know, as you have your own kids, my kids are five and seven and like starting to see your parents in a different way as a parent yourself. And I feel like that's sort of a process. So like learning things about my mom as a mother myself, alongside seeing her really change a lot has been one, definitely one of the most shocking experiences of my life. And just trying to like recalibrate what I of course want to have a relationship with her. And I do, and I love her and I'm, I'm thankful for, I still, you know, like I said, there's no estrangement, but it's just been, it's been shocking. I love that you said that about how being a mom yourself is changing your expectations. As we were writing the book, I thought a lot about how being a mom has in some ways made me look at my parents with so much more grace and forgiveness. Like, oh, of course you didn't know to do this, or of course it felt like that or whatever. And at the same time, my expectations about the relationship I have with them as an adult are a lot higher as a result of being a mom. Cause I look at my two and, and I can't imagine uh, not being in it with them for everything always. Um, and that made me think about your situation, Taylor, because I also had this vision of in-laws where I thought that was going to be a really magical relationship. <laughs> and um, um, where yeah. did you get that impression from Beth? I don't know, <laughs> but I just Not felt like culture. it was going to be, look, I, I think there's probably some arrogance in it. Cause I think, you know, I'm easy to be in relationship with. I'm delightful. Surely they will be too. It's going to be fine. Uh, and we don't have conflicts overtly probably because we don't live in the same area, but I think we would have a lot of conflict if we lived close by. And I I would love to hear about kind of what your expectations for that relationship were Taylor and, and what the reality has been. So, um, my husband and I have been together since we were in high school and, um, his, his parents have always been pretty like, uh, we don't vote party. Like they would vote who for whoever they felt was best at the time. Um, I never heard them talk about politics. My husband and I have been together almost 17 years. I, we were high school sweethearts and um, 2016, everything started to flip. And we are originally from Ohio. We live in Eastern Kentucky now. My husband's a pastor. And um, so I don't want to, the distance, I don't know if it's made it, maybe it's made it a little easier, but I'm very opinionated. And my father-in-law is incredibly opinionated, but we are on two separate ends of the spectrum. And um, my mother-in-law doesn't say a lot. She doesn't like to, like other people have said, she doesn't like to talk politics. If the news is on, she turns it off. She doesn't want to be informed. Now, like that didn't really play into COVID because we had a baby in 2020. Um, My son is almost two. And, um, so luckily, like they kind of knew, I think that we wouldn't let them see him if they didn't get vaccinated, wear masks and everything. And my mother-in-law was on the, like, terrified to get COVID side. So like that was luckily she, we, she had that fear. And so if they got vaccinated, they wore masks, they did all of that. Um, but my father-in-law is like, he's still, he is incredibly, he's big on Trump. Very and, much, but he got but, the mask and the vaccine. Yes. Interesting. Probably because my mother-in-law made him. I mean, Trump got the vaccine. It's not like Trump was anti-vax. Right. Yes. Well, you know that progression to me? It reminds me about Johnny Depp. Follow me here. (laughs) Where people feel like they've gotten something back. 
And it was like going from like, well, I just vote for the candidate and I just stay neutral and I don't. And now they can just unabashedly root for something. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I think they were really, really hungry for that. They wanted to be unabashedly pro something. Because I mean, if you think about it, especially like our in-laws or our parents' generation, I mean, they're not, they're baby boomers, but you're talking about like the 70s, Watergate, Vietnam. They didn't have a conscious (laughs) adult memory of being able to be like, yes, go for something. I mean, Reagan in the Cold War a little bit, but like, eh, I don't know. It's interesting that you say that because it all, that's exactly what it feels like is that when Trump was elected, it was almost like it gave permission for all of the non-politically correct thought processes, belief systems, and values. All of a sudden, this one person got up there and stated all that, and it became okay. Mm -hmm. And that by supporting him, you're showing that you're against the overt political correctness. And and, And I think that that's where that progression came from. It was almost as if like when Obama was in office, too many people saw him as a complete opposite of what we've seen in history. And I think it had something to do. I think part of it had to do with the fact he was the first African-American to become president. He was young. The last really young president was Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, here was a young man with a young family and a wife who was intelligent. And they didn't represent the picture that so many people had had in their minds of what America and the presidency looked like. This was a, a turning point. And that progression allowed Trump and people who are like him to take all of those bad, negative, judgmental thought processes, and they were given a voice. And then it became okay. Did you notice any, and anyone can take this question, like, did you notice that your family members were like suffering under the weight of all that political correctness during the Obama years? Or or did Trump create the disease and diagnose it retroactively? I'm sure some of y'all's families were mad during Obama, for sure, right? People said that he's the author of division, <laughs> right? That Barack Obama brought all the division. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a narrative, for sure. I think, too, it didn't end after, like, when Trump was in office, because I've been thinking a lot about what you said, Beth, on the Bible binge and on more to say about how the persecution might be the point, like, the being the underdog might be the point, because yes. that's the thread that I see throughout, like, you know, even my you know family members that, that I disagree with on politics, and many of them are you know evangelicals, and there's like this narrative of of being persecuted. But even outside of the like religious sphere, I think just that sense of like we are the underdogs. People like to be the underdogs and feel like they're winning. I just had an aha moment. If you want to be persecuted and you want to be the underdog, what is better proof than that you have turned? from your family or your family has turned from you. That's like nothing's more persecuted than somebody who they won't even let me see my grandbaby. Right. right. And like, that's like peak persecution. If you can bring the family into it, then that is like gold standard persecution. Like what else are well, you? So, and you're a true patriot. You're a true soldier. Cause you're willing to sacrifice these relationships. Exactly. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. 
We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box. Salon grade tools. Your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. As we process these conversations, the first thing we want you to know is that they weren't supposed to be about COVID, but it came up over and over and over again. And this conversation about family and the conversation about friends and the conversation about church, it was an ever-present part of these conversations. 
we really didn't set up what it was supposed to be about other than the conflict that you're experiencing. And so in a way, it wasn't surprising that COVID is now almost a foundation of a lot of that family conflict and that COVID has been just this ever-present background for our lives you know, through the summer in which we had a a racial reckoning in the country that continues in many ways, and through um, the presidential election. As Sarah said, COVID just would not get out of these discussions the way it will not get out of our day today. Um, And I think we cannot overestimate the hurt that people are carrying around and how personally they took it. Um, when family members were critical of their approaches to COVID or just outright refused to meet people in the middle on it or or to meet people where they were on it. And I think paradoxically, my biggest takeaway was as much as this new, arguably temporary reality plays such a part in this conflict, a lot of what's underneath the conflict is more permanent and more reflective of long family histories and expectations. I think my biggest aha moment came when I realized like, oh, so much of this is really about status. And it's really about a type of power inside the family. You know, you wrote in the book about the different ways you and your sister Kimberly had learned about conflict. And the sibling segment was super impactful. It came up over and over in our launch group. And what I realized in this conversation is that's what people, I think, connected to with the sibling conversation. And I think that is this thread running through a lot of this, particularly COVID conflict. So it's like touching on something much deeper, obviously, than how we're dealing with conflict right now. It's this sense of you're asking for a power shift. You're asking for a change in status, a change in dynamic. All of a sudden... My child is asking me or telling me as a parent what I'm supposed to do. And I think in the best of circumstances, those power dynamic changes are stressful. That's why weddings are stressful, because all of a sudden the power dynamic has shifted a little bit. That's why births are stressful inside of a family, because it shifts that power dynamic. And I think COVID and our politics and our conflicts surrounding politics push on those power dynamics even more. Oh, well, you're my kid and you're telling me to wear a mask. Or, you know, it's you're my big sister and I'm an adult now and I don't want you to tell me what to do, including to get vaccinated. And so I think COVID just because we were asking things of each other, it really, really put pressure on those those dynamics, that status that so often goes completely unarticulated inside a family. And I also think that because there are more conversations about status and influence and media, that our family members are less inclined to take us at our word that something is really important Mm -hmm. to us. They think that we are doing things or making decisions because of status among people outside the family. Well, you only say this because you think it's popular with this group of people, or you only think this way because this is the the show that you watch or the the pundit that you listen to. Mm-hmm. And so we're all kind of layering onto each other what we think are like inappropriate forces that are leading us to a conclusion instead of accepting like maybe this person in front of me, my child, 
my sister, my uncle, my parent. Maybe this person is also an autonomous human who has come to this conclusion in a genuine, sincere, thoughtful way. And whether they have or they haven't, it's difficult to enter into good faith navigation of conflict unless we accept each other on those terms. Well, and I think asking people to accept each other at face value inside a family is difficult, if not impossible, especially outside of like a family therapy situation. We are bringing so much to the table. We are bringing that history. We are bringing our own personal interpretation of that history. We are bringing the choices we make inside our own immediate families once we've left our parents' homes. We are bringing our expectations like culturally about what a mother-daughter relationship should look like, what a sibling relationship should look like. I mean, it's just this giant, you know, when we're speaking, we use the metaphor of a backpack, like we're all carrying these backpacks. And the backpacks we bring when to our family members, especially if there hasn't been a real articulated value set around what conflict will look like, what healthy conflict will look like. And we're just, you know, running on instinct and fumes without anybody really clearly articulating how they're feeling. I mean, it's a it's a powder keg. I don't think it's surprising that people are hurting so much. I don't think it's surprising that this was the hardest chapter in our book to write. And then we rewrote it like five times. Like, I just think that this is the manifestation of all the most difficult, complicated parts of being in relationship with other humans. And it's hard. We're not even doing a lot of this consciously. Like your memories freeze a person in time. You know, I've been thinking about Ellen celebrated her birthday, my daughter, in June. She's seven. And she loves pigs right now. And so she got all this pig stuff. And I keep telling myself every time I do something with the pigs, hey, let Ellen outgrow this because Mm -hmm. she will. And there will be people in her life who are still giving her pigs because this is the moment that their brain has grabbed onto about her. I've done that to so many people in my family and had it done to me. And it feels hard when you become someone's Polaroid instead of like this embodied person with lots of life experience they don't see. And COVID made that so much worse because what we could see of each other was very, very limited. So now what? Being estranged from your family is just the worst thing that we could imagine, that it's this thing that's like, you know, anti this whole narrative we tell ourselves about the family. But really, if your identity is more and more about you being this like persecuted underdog, this persecuted minority, Mm -hmm. and that's taking precedence in your identity then yeah, that's going to feed that. That's going to that's gonna add fuel to your fire, stones in that wall about who you really are and what you're really willing to do. Rachel, I thought your comments about your cousins were really interesting because then you don't have, you don't have a generational conflict. Yeah, like you're all the same age. And so you're, and it's sort of like what we talk about in the book with siblings, like how could, how could we have gotten here? If we grew up together, like how did we end up in such different places? So there, just to give a little backstory, there are six um, original cousins. We are all like within a year and a half apart. So all very tight. So when we were all old enough to have cell phones and um, be in a group text, it was like this really like fun, like memories and just like funny things that happened, checking in about our days. And no, it's stopped being about babies and puppies and moving states, countries, etc. And it's, it's two family members um, try to like, oh, I'm buying gas and 
thanks Biden for the gas prices. Uh, I'm like, the president doesn't control gas prices, you know, like, and there's no, there's no arguing. Um, and no one has like, it's not the place to engage, but you know, privately I've been like, if you want to have like a real conversation, like I'm happy to do that. And that's, but that's not the, the motive. That's so that when people do that in a group text or a place where they know there are family members who don't agree with them, that I just want to like psychologically dissect why they do that. Like, what are you doing? You know how I feel. Do you think the meme's going to convince me? Like, (laughs) yeah, my dad, um, well, it started with emails that I, this is, I mean, back starting in like 2019, it just like ramped up with the election and then COVID. I mean, everything, sometimes it was Facebook threads. Sometimes it was, do you guys know Dennis Prager? Prager you that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Said it to some friends and they're like, who is this guy? I'm like, he was like, like so known in my family. (laughs) (laughs) But he will send me, he was sending them to me. And I was like, dad, stop, please stop. Blocked him for a while. Then he started texting that. And I probably like seven times had to be like, dad. And finally, I just said like, dad, you are damaging our relationship. Like that, you mm. know, Good for you. I'm happy yeah. to like have this conversation with you in a like fair way, but like I've asked you to stop and it's to him. Conflict feels like relating. <laughs> it feels comfortable and safe <laughs> and almost like a form of love. Like if we're able to go at it, he feels a connection. It does not feel that way to me. And so anyways, I just, right. It's like chapter one of the book where, yes. you, where you talked about the car ride. Yes. Yeah. And how Beth said, you want, you're okay with holding that tension. He doesn't want that tension, you know? So there's just kind of conversational interpersonal style as part of it too. I feel like I don't want to just be sitting here and be, be moaning. I want to be, now what, <laughs> you know? I want, I want to be figuring out how do we navigate this? And so I'm trying to keep conversation lines open, but it's just so awkward. That's exactly it. To just keep showing up, to just keep saying, I'm here. I love you. Do you have any suggestions as you think about like holding those lines of like holding those lines open, especially when you're not estranged, you just have differences that are challenging in that moment. To me, it's really, I think it's hard to maybe because I'm an Enneagram eight without feeling like I'm like capitulating to what they want or like, or like going so far and feeling like I'm the only one or like we're the only ones. And we still set boundaries. And like, for example, we went to a family event because we set our own limits around like if cases are X low, we'll feel comfortable that the risk is low enough that we'll go because we know there's going to be no other mitigation measures in place. But it just feels a little bit challenging for me to understand the line between like keeping those, like doing what we can to like maintain a good relationship, especially things that feel more seasonal, like COVID disagreements. I mean, it felt more seasonal. Hopefully it will end someday, but without feeling like we're compromising like things that are really important things that are really important or, or feeling like we're giving up something and like giving up and that we're, um, yeah, while still holding boundaries, I guess, like being able to, I guess the way I want to say that is being able to keep the lines open while still maintaining like appropriate boundaries and, and communicating that certain behaviors aren't okay with us. 
I feel like I hear a lot of healthy versions of that in Taylor's comments. Like it sounds really healthy to me to hear my mother-in-law made him get vaccinated. Great. Wonderful. That's what, that's how a family's supposed to work, right? (laughs) Sometimes somebody just steps up and says, this is what we're going to be doing now or says you're an idiot. Why are you talking like this? Like, I think that's how a family should feel. You know what I mean? Because you have a lightness about it when you're able to say that to each other, it's the, the shutting down and the backing away and the disconnection, what isn't said where I think all of the toxicity can really develop. Well, and also like, I think family is an incredibly powerful bond. It is important to me in my life. And also you can't love somebody into self-awareness. Like all the family love in the world is not gonna, is not going to give that level of awareness about the interactions and what's happening in relationships. Like it's just not. And so I think there's a certain acceptance of like, okay, well, this person's in my family and I'm going to accept them the way they are. And maybe one day they'll wake up and go to therapy. Probably not. That's it, right? It's like, are we going to, are we just going, are we going to accept the foibles? How damaging are they? How painful are they? How much can I, we maneuver around them? How much does my own self-awareness and sort of reflection on, and seeing clearly what's going on here, like give me the tools and the, and the energy and the motivation to like get through it. And how much do I need their buy-in? I keep thinking, because I don't even always play the song, but the, the latest Adele single, the single she put out with her new album. And she has that refrain where she says, I had the high, I had the best of intentions and the highest hope. And it probably didn't even show, you know, that part where she sings that she's just sit, like belting at the top. Of her, I had the highest hopes. I had the best of intentions and it probably doesn't even show. And I think, man, we should sing that to ourselves every morning as we come out of this pandemic. And we should sing it in the, like, as we go into every interaction with every person, like I had the, I had the highest of hopes and the best of intentions and it probably didn't even show. Um, this is like a human refrain. And I think that no place is that truer than within our families. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off.
there's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. So as we said at the opening, this is a conversational exploration, and we hope that you have felt seen or heard or slightly less alone by listening to other people's experiences. Of course, there are moments, as you heard from some of our participants, when stepping away is necessary for our mental health or our physical safety. We devote a whole section of the book to resources for toxic relationships, especially when abuse is present. We're going to share those resources in our show notes, and we really want to say clearly, we are not telling you to stay in every relationship in your life. We are not telling you that working on yourself and your people is always your work to do. Sometimes it's not. And being really clear for yourself about where you are safe and where you are not safe matters to us. And we hope that if you need help and professionals and resources that you'll that you'll get connected. Thank you is not a big enough set of words for the listeners who participated in this conversation. We are eternally grateful that they volunteer to be so vulnerable and open-hearted and empathetic with us and with each other and to share these conversations with all of you. Thank you so much to everyone who participated in this call. Next up in our summer series, we are going to be talking about the other two groups of people we are closest to in our lives, our partners and our friends.
Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Hessians! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Ashley Thompson. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. I don't know. I was probably a teenager when I heard my mom call Barack Barack Obama the Antichrist. Oh <laughs> dear! Like, just like little comments like that throughout my you know childhood. And I mean, I wouldn't but, call that a little comment, but um, I take your point. Well, <laughs> to me, at age seventeen or whatever I was, it was like, okay, this is my mom. Like calling so someone the of, Antichrist is pretty escalatory, in my opinion. But that, yeah, that's true. That's true. She didn't say yeah. Yeah, that's true. I remember exactly where in a bagel shop. Like I remember exactly where <laughs> I was. So you're right. We were in a bagel list. shop when I was like, you know what? <laughs> I think Barack Obama is the bagel, the, the bagel, the Antichrist. Yes. I he love that very, so much. Very concerned about you him. love it. So 